Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What up, TCK Potters? Welcome back to the program. I'm your host, Sky Guasco, joined by my man, Bobby Lamarco. You can find us on Twitter at our names, at Sky Guasco on Twitter, at Bobby Lamarco on Twitter as well. You can find him at FFX Factor on, or Fantasy Football X Factor, excuse me, on Instagram. And you can find me at Fantasy Football underscore TCK Pod on Instagram. Today, we are breaking down the wide receiver draft capital and the importance of it. Last week on Wednesday, we broke down the running back version of this and before we get into that we do want to discuss the julio jones trade not quite breaking news at this point but uh we're running three episodes a week two of those are player spotlights where we do them solo so we're just doing one episode together per week so we haven't had a chance to connect since it went down but before we get into that bobby how you doing and um what was your initial reaction when you had uh the julio jones trade go down (sighs) I mean, I think it's a good thing for him. I, I I am a little confused about what the Falcons are doing because why keep Matt Ryan as your quarterback and then get rid of Julio if you're trying to win now? Matt Ryan seems like he's got maybe a two, maybe at the most three years left. So why would you get rid of one of his best assets to make him succeed? Um, I just don't understand. I think it's a little contradictory. I think if, if anything – it made more sense maybe to go after a quarterback at pick four and then deal Julio and then you can kind of build for the future. So my first reaction is from, from a fantasy standpoint, I'm excited. There's a lot of, I think it's a great landing spot for Julio and those guys in Tennessee. And I think it really opens things up for the Atlanta Falcons, but from a football standpoint, a little bit of a head scratcher. Were you surprised on the team landing spot? I mean, AJ Brown has been very vocal, obviously recruiting Julio. We saw a video come out about the day before that Julio was working out with Derrick Henry. Um, but of course, every team was kind of in the Julio sweepstakes there for a few days. Were you surprised ultimately that he landed with Tennessee? So they, I mean, Tennessee hasn't done much this off season. I mean, they brought in your boy, Josh Reynolds, and they did draft a guy in Des Fitzpatrick in the fourth round. But overall, they haven't really replaced Corey Davis or Johnny Smith. And that team is one of the teams that have the most vacated targets. And this team, this division's wide open. I mean, there is no lock to win it. So this team can still win now. And I think Tannehill is still plenty of years in his prime, A.J. Brown. So, no, I'm not surprised. I think it makes a lot of sense for them to invest in Tannehill and, you know, maybe try to limit the wear and tear on Henry and open things up a little bit more now with two elite wide receivers. Nearly 200 vacated targets for the Titans. So there's a lot uh, of meat on the bone here. Obviously, that's going to help A.J. Brown a little bit. I mean, he, he should see an uptick. Uh, your boy Anthony Ferkser is going to get some more Ooh. work as well. Hopefully, Josh Reynolds gets a little bit of play as a, a third string still. He was behind Cup and Woods with the Rams. He's now behind Brown and Jones with the Titans. And of course the offense ultimately I think will still run through Derrick Henry and the efficiency of Ryan Tannehill. Bobby, before we get into the wide receiver draft capital, I did want to kind of um, go a little deeper here on the fantasy impact of Julio Jones leaving Atlanta and landing in Tennessee. And I think you and I are going to kind of split the work on this one. I'll I'll let you go first. Um, Pick a side of the fence here. Tennessee or Atlanta, um, and just let me know how you feel about that team, and I'll, I'll take the other half. Yeah, the Falcons, for me, I listen, Calvin Ridley last year in the games without Julio Jones was over 17 points per game in half-point PPR. That would have been good for third behind, of course, uh, Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams. So I think he's a lock-and-loaded top-five wide receiver this year for me. Um, but also, this is kind of eerily, eerily similar. Last year I put out a post about Calvin Ridley heading into his uh, third season and also how it impacted Julio Jones. And when you flashed back a couple of years, the same thing started to happen with Julio and Roddy White. Now it's so interesting because uh, Julio's gone. And uh, Calvin Ridley, Julio went off. In 2015, he had that 200-target season in an offense that's similar to Arthur Smith, that, that Kyle Shanahan, that Matt LaFleur scheme that Arthur Smith took over. That system produced a 200-target season from Julio because a lot of, they didn't have much around him, and and that could be Calvin Ridley this year. He could lead the team, lead the league in targets easily. Um, so I'm all in on Calvin Ridley from that standpoint. Kyle Pitts to me, 
um, is more is interesting. But the thing is, he's already tight end four, and we're going to start seeing his draft capital rise into probably that four or five turn range. You could probably even see him in the fourth. You got to start realizing one thing. I will talk about this over and over again. Your starting lineups matter. If you have to start more wide receivers and running backs, so for example, you have a two running back, three wide receiver, and a flex spot. That means if you draft Kyle Pitts in the fourth round, you're passing up on premier guys at the receiver position. You're going to have to replace that flex spot with a seventh, maybe even an eighth round wide receiver or running back. So Kyle Pitts, yes, he might be close to the tight end four or five range at the end of the season. But from a points per game perspective, is it going to be enough to be a difference maker versus the tight end 10 you might get much later in drafts? So I think overall for me, Calvin Ridley is the one that goes way up. I think I'm more comfortable with Kyle Pitts. I don't think I'm touching him in the fourth and the fifth round, but if he falls to that five, six turn, I would probably pull the trigger on him. But if I'm in a shallower league and I'm only going to start five guys, meaning two receivers, two running backs and a flex, then that fifth round pick makes a little more sense for me. Assuming Aaron Rodgers plays for the Packers, which of course we do not know. Let's just say he does. Devontae Adams is number one, most likely Tyreek Hill, number two. Bobby, how do you have the next three to four wide receivers? And let's say the grouping of, let's say, Diggs, Hopkins, Ridley, Brown, and I'll throw Michael Thomas in there as well. So the next five, Diggs, Hopkins, Ridley, Brown, Thomas, how do you rank those guys in PPR as of now? Or half PPR as you prefer? Yeah, yeah. I'm going Ridley all day for number three, with then Diggs right after that. Um, when it comes down to like Brown and then Michael Thomas, listen, Michael Thomas, I'm not as high on. I need to see who's going to win that job. I, I don't think Michael Thomas is someone that I'm going to be rating in the top five. My top five is probably pretty locked in. I think I'm still going to go A.J. Brown at five um, just because last year we saw him paired with Corey Davis. Davis still had a pretty nice target share. He still got some – it was only about 6.5 targets per game, but – Julio's going to demand more attention. That's going to open things up for A.J. Brown. Plus, we just talked about all those vacated targets. And on top of all that, Todd Downing is not going to be as conservative as Arthur Smith. We've seen him as an O.C. in the past. He actually featured two receivers with Crabtree and Cooper in 2017 on that team. Uh, in 14 games, both of those guys were up to 100 targets. So he's already utilized an offense that features two stud wide receivers i expect that to be the same thing for Dodd, todd downing this year and the tennessee titans where currently do you have julio jones ranked i don't have rankings yet um that's a good question so we talked a little bit about top 12 i don't think i'm going to get there uh it's going to be really tough for julio and aj brown to finish his top 12 receivers but we've seen it i think it the happens, upside seems to happen with somebody every year right and that's the thing so it, i think the upside here though for me, is kind of like the Vikings last year. Kind of a limited upside passing volume offense, but a very efficient offense. And they had two guys finishing the top 12 in Thielen and Jefferson on a points-per-game basis. But that being said, none of those guys become top five necessarily. So I'm going to have to spend more time on this looking at A.J. Brown and Julio Jones because they both have top 12 upside. But at the same time, they might cap each other out because of the pass volume on this offense. All right. Any – uh. Any reason to consider either Russell Gage or Zacchaeus as a deeper option, flex play, something? You know, I, I've always been on the on the side of that this is going to be more of a conservative offense in Atlanta than people want to pretend. And I think you, Arthur Smith's not going to come over here and just say, hey, Matt Ryan, we're going to throw 600 times. Dirk Coyter is the most pass-heavy offensive coordinator in the NFL over the last decade. And Arthur Smith has been a part of the most conservative offense since 2011. So if it's going to be anything, it's going to be somewhere in the middle. And I just don't think that – I think I, I truly believe Calvin Ridley is going to have 175, 180 targets. I believe that they're going to funnel all of the tar- – like, listen, the X receiver, the primary weapon in this offense has – produced Devontae Adams in the Matt LaFleur scheme, has produced Julio Jones, 200 targets, the elite target ceilings that X receiver in this offense can produce. I think Calvin Ridley is going to gobble up a bunch of targets. And Matt Ryan's the type of quarterback who trusts his best players. I think from a PPR standpoint, Russell Gage, listen, he'll be fine. I think he's 100% on the radar in PPR, but you're not going to win your league with Russell Gage. So I think for me, it's going to be Calvin Ridley. This also could open more passing game work for Mike Davis. 
So I think also from that standpoint, I'm a little more excited to draft Mike Davis probably in the fifth round in fantasy drafts. Russell Gage played about three quarters of his uh, snaps in the slot last year. If he is forced to move outside and just become the number two, that might be a little different for him as well. Zacchaeus impressed. I mean, he's played limited options, but we did see his, what, 94-yard touchdown or whatever it was last year. So I think he's got the deep speed um, to couple with those two other wide receivers. All right, before I get into the Titans side of things, we do have a question of the day here. If you're watching live on YouTube, make sure to subscribe, first of all, and leave a comment here, and we'll bring it up here on the screen. Question of the day, is Calvin Ridley a top five fantasy wide receiver? And is Julio Jones a top 12 fantasy receiver? Of course, depending on which format you use, half PPR, full PPR, or if you're still in the Stone Age and you use standard PPR, or standard, I should say, non-PPR. Uh, then feel free to uh, reply back here. We'll pull those up on the screen, and we'll get to our thoughts at the end of the episode. All right, I'm going to dive into the Titans side of things here. First of all, I've got A.J. Brown currently at number six. Uh, I have New Hopkins. I have Stephon Diggs, first of all, at number three. I have New Hopkins at number four, Calvin Ridley at number five, A.J. Brown at number six, and then Michael Thomas right behind him. I've got Julio Jones currently at 14. I... It just doesn't make sense after the last decade of ranking Julio Jones in the top five <laughs> to put him this low. Uh, it just feels weird to see his name that far down the list. But the only people I can consider putting him over down here, maybe Terry McLaurin, although I expect a big season with him with Fitz, and Mike Evans, just because I'm not sure the efficiency. But I think second year with Brady, I think they will be very good as well. So for me right now, he's ahead of Robert Woods, Amari Cooper, Adam Thielen. I know you're very high on Amari Cooper. Um, but that's kind of where he sits, kind of that like front end um, wide receiver two there for me. We'll start with Julio Jones on this side here. Comes over second and fourth rounders. They swap six round picks. In my opinion, this is a steal uh, for the Titans, who are win now. The Falcons are not win now. The Falcons have not been the same since the Super Bowl when they got upended by Brady. They had that game in the bag, as we all know, for three and a half quarters. They ended up losing it. They have not been the same since. And Julio Jones has been all-world basically his entire career. Uh, I was reading off the stats to Bobby um, earlier before we jumped on the, the air. In seasons that he's played at least 14 games, and we know that Julio has had injury uh, hobblings minimum throughout his career. Two seasons he played. His rookie season he played five games. Last year he played nine. Every other season he's played at least 14. And one, two, three of those seasons he played all 16. In Seasons he played at least 14 games, Julio Jones has a minimum of 1,394 receiving yards. So basically 1,400 uh, receiving yards minimum in seasons that he played at least 14 games. Now, unfortunately, he has never had more than nine touchdowns, which I think is an absolute crime. Uh, he is one of the most dominant receivers I've seen in my lifetime, and he is just not because he's triple targeted in the or triple covered in the red zone, Matt Ryan has come out and say multiple times, why would you throw to a guy that has three people on him versus somebody else that's open and makes sense for football? Very frustrating for fantasy football and for Julio Jones managers there. Calvin Ridley has picked up the slack lately. Tight ends over the years have picked up the slack as well. And obviously the running game over the years uh, for the Falcons too. So, Julio Jones hopefully can get a little more tight end love and a more efficient offense. Not as much volume, Bobby, as you mentioned, but potentially a little more efficiency here. Um, I see you having a comment, so I'll let you jump in before I carry on. Okay. So this is just one thing I want to prep. I know I know Julio Jones is probably our best wide receiver of this decade. I'm not saying that. But he's 32 years old. And one of the things I will say, Corey Davis last year, was one of the top five or six most efficient wide receivers on a route per route run basis and a yards per target basis. Like, I don't think a lot of people realize how good Corey Davis was when he was given the opportunities. So for from a Ryan Tannehill standpoint, I know that this is going to really open things up for A.J. Brown because people are going to respect Julio more. But it's not like that Corey Davis was a really bad receiver. If you, I, I recommend everybody go look at this because – Corey Davis was was amazing last year. He really was. And I think from a overall offensive standpoint, yes, Julio brings a different dimension, especially vertically. 
But at the same time, I think that let's not completely blow it out of the world. Like I know one of the things you asked was, is Ryan Tannehill an MVP candidate now? I, I just think that overall this offense is a little too conservative. Maybe it opens up a little bit more, but that's just one thing I want to highlight that Corey Davis, the guy he's replacing, was really good last year. Fair enough. Jump on to A.J. Brown here. I've got him at number six. Uh, A.J. Brown played two less games last year than he did as a rookie, but he had more receptions, targets, and yards as well, uh, and 12 touchdowns. In two seasons, he has 21 touchdowns. Absolutely fantastic. We know he's a big play receiver. We know he can take a slant to the house. He's very strong, similar to Julio Jones. So having two of these big-body, aggressive, um, ball-attacking wide receivers is going to be great for this offense in general. and. To me, I think this limits the ultimate ceiling for A.J. Brown. I just don't see him maybe getting that top three that people were getting excited about about a week ago. But if he can remain touchdown heavy, which he is, I mean, he's averaging more than 10 touchdowns a season and over 1,000 yards, and you know we'll give him 70-plus catches, that's going to probably make him a top-five wide receiver. And Julio Jones can still get his, too, as a back-end wide receiver one up uh, front and wide receiver two. So definitely the potential there. Um, I think there is some maybe hidden gems in this offensive. Well, we know about Ryan Tannehill. He's the best. I mean, Matt Stafford, who I gushed about on my uh, player profile last week, uh, Matt Stafford and Ryan Tannehill are my two favorite late round quarterbacks. Although <laughs> the sooner, the qu- the closer we get to the season, they're going to be more like, mid-round quarterbacks versus late-round quarterbacks because they're going to start yeah. going in the 7th, 8th, ninth round versus the 10, 11, 12th round. But still, those guys, I think, both have top 10 upside in fantasy, and you're getting them at the you know quarterback 15 off the board. So I like that. Mm-hmm. We know about Derrick Henry as well, um, top three running back in all formats, even PPR potentially. And I think your boy Anthony Ferkser and potentially even Josh Reynolds kind of have a deep uh, a deeper sleeper late round free off of draft boards um, potential as well. And you mentioned that uh, Anthony Ferkser, um could also maybe move to slot and be effective there if they want to use Jeff Swaim inside because the Titans ran some of the most two tight end sets, 12 personnel in the NFL last year. If Jeff Swaim is one of them and they use Ferkser as more of the Janu of last year running more of the routes, um, that could be obviously very fruitful for the tight end position. And we saw Ferkser come in and be quite effective when Johnny was out in those games last year. So the thing is with Anthony Ferkser was he wasn't utilizing the red zone. I mean, he only had one touchdown catch. He he actually split work 55, 45% when it comes to targets between him and Johnny last year. And I was just, I said this in my report, I actually posted a thing that guys who can have the most to win in the NFL draft. My guy was Anthony Ferkser for the Titans. And the guy behind him, Jeff Swain, has never been over 30 targets in a season. So I'm just saying that this is a point where now you have Julio and you have A.J. Brown, but still, from a tight end perspective, that middle of the field, last year Anthony Ferkser led the team in slot target uh, slot routes, and he was the main focus once Humphreys went down. And they really haven't replaced that slot receiver this year. Josh Reynolds, typically an outside guy. So I think that Ferkser still could be a fantasy asset, but the thing is, is he going to get the red zone looks that Janu got last year? I just don't think he's going to get as many now with Julio in town that he might have gotten beforehand. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay, so that is our breakdown here of the Julio Jones trade. We will obviously be talking more about this as we go throughout the summer, talking Titans um, and breaking this down a little bit further. But we haven't had a rapid reaction yet because we haven't been on a duo podcast uh until now so uh, we want to get our thoughts out there before we get into the wide receiver draft capital i am going to give a couple shouts out here to some of our sponsors and then we'll let bobby take it away on wide receiver draft capital and the importance of it so first of course i want to give a shout out to our friends at the jersey jungle dm them on instagram at the jersey jungle you can use the promo code TCK to receive 10% off of one or two jerseys and 15% off of three jerseys. I mentioned this last episode, but I think it's important to keep reiterating. I just got word from my boy Trenton over at Jersey Jungle. They are starting to get rookie jerseys in. So those of you that are looking for the rookie jerseys, Jersey Jungle has them. They don't have every single rookie yet. They're still waiting on some rookies to you know, uh, finalize the number, finalize a contract, make things official. 
But as they are doing that, they do have more and more rookies available. So Najee Harris, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, uh, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Mac Jones. Those are some of the rookie jerseys that they have available in regards to fantasy football. They also have some defensive player and rookies available as well because, of course, they have all jerseys available. They'll be coming out with Kyle Pitts, and they'll be coming out with Travis Etienne. They'll be coming out with my boy Deami Brown, which you know I'm going to scoop up here quite shortly. So go head over to the Jersey Jungle on Instagram. Look through their inventory, all sports, football, baseball, playoff hockey, playoff basketball underway. They have world soccer and alternate sports as well. They have home away and custom jerseys available. Football jerseys on NFL.com are $120. A jersey through Jersey Jungle, the same exact jersey, is $65 at cost. Use the promo code TCK to get 10 to 15% off of uh, one to three jerseys. And you can see the Julio Jones behind me, which is from the Jersey jungle. Now we'll bring up, and I want to give a shout out to bomb banana hot sauce. Bobby and I have been talking about bomb banana hot sauce here. Go to seek Check out bomb banana hot sauce, banana based, not banana flavored new sponsor of the podcast. Use the promo code TCK for 10% off of that hot sauce. The white label is a little more flavor, less spice. The red label is the muy muy. That is more heat. They do bring a little bit of a kick. I'm not much of a, uh, a spice guy, but it, it is absolutely delicious. I put it on my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I love it on my eggs. I love hot sauce on pizza. I love it on pasta. You can even put it in your milkshake uh, and your um, your fruit smoothie if you if you want to get a little spicy there. So go to seekthespice.com. Check out Bomb Banana Hot Sauce. Banana-based, not banana-flavored. Okay, Bobby. One rookie wide receiver jersey you're looking to gather right now. I just want to tell you, I love when you say muy muy. Gotta say, it makes muy me muy. happy. Muy muy, love it. Um, very, very hot. Yeah, man, Jamar Chase. I'm a kind of a homer this year for him. I, I'm typically not a rookie guy, but Jamar Chase, everything I've been reading about and learning about wide receiver draft capital, all that stuff, has me high on Jamar Chase, and I think he's going to be an absolute stud. Fantastic. All right, Bobby, I just did a lot of talking here for the sponsors and things. I'm going to turn it over to you in a little bit. Why don't you re- reintroduce us to the idea of draft capital in general? Maybe revisit quickly what we did with running backs last week to catch people up if they missed it. Of course, just go back last week to uh, the episode on Wednesday and catch the running back draft capital. A lot of great gold nuggets in there. And then let us know what you did here uh, with the wide receivers as well. So what I so I've been kind of picking up my dynasty uh, exposure over the last couple like year or so, and one of the things I wanted to do is learn does draft capital really matter? How well does it correlate to fantasy success and sustained f- fantasy success? So a couple articles I found were you know this guy had a top twenty four season, and I was like I want to know how many guys are consistent. When I draft a guy in the in the first round of a dynasty league, I want to know if he's going to be good for four, five, six years, not just one. So that's kind of where the, I started down this path. So I reviewed the last 10 years of data and looked at every player drafted rounds one through seven. And then I put a benchmark in place to see how many points per game they had for their career. Now, last week we did running backs. The benchmark was 10 points per game and half point PPR. This week we're going to be doing – wide receivers and I lowered the benchmark slightly to nine and a lot of that had to do with some of the players I started seeing and over the years I think the guys like Justin Jefferson and and CD Lamb have kind of overshadowed the fact that most receivers take two maybe even three years to hit their peak so I've kind of factored that in plus there's a great list of guys who are between nine and ten points prefer their career this includes Randall Cobb, Tyler Lockett, Sammy Watkins, Cortland Sutton, Tyler Boyd, Marquise Brown, etc. So there was a lot of good fantasy assets that fell in there. So I lowered the benchmark to nine and we've dived into this. So this is kind of really for a lot of things for dynasty, but you also can use it for redraft purposes. If you're looking at a guy, you might think take a leap, but you might want to lean a guy in the first round like a Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy might be one of my favorite mid round receivers this year because of his draft pedigree and the Teddy Bridgewater QB competition as well. So this is kind of how the the whole process started. But, um, Sky, if you want to join me back in here, I'm going to show a quick quick picture here. This is basically your – let me just take away the banner for a second. Get rid of that candles. There we go. So essentially what I did is I put together a chart to show 
round by round, and basically I'm going to tell you what they each 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 column means. So first off, the round is kind of obvious. That's the round they were drafted in. Then the total number of receivers picked, that's the number of wide receivers over the last 10 years that were picked in that round. So you go from there, the third column you'll see is how many of those wide receivers actually have nine points per game and half point PPR for their career. And on the far right column, that's the percent hit rate. So essentially that's how many, the percentage of wide receivers drafted in the first round, second round, third round that have a career a bench uh, career points per game of nine points. So really the biggest thing from last week, you saw the first round running backs were absolutely huge. It was about 79%. It's the highest hit rate we have. And the drop off was steep to second round, which is 45, et cetera. You don't see that with wide receivers. And what I did when I look at this right away, I see that the 4% differential between first and second is kind of eyebrow raising. Uh, raising for me. And I was like, okay, I wonder what that means though for top 10. So what I did is I actually looked and drilled down even further. And I looked at top 10 and that actually jumps to about 55% hit rate. But when you carve out the top 10 and you just look at bottom 10, uh, bottom two thirds of the first round and second round, they actually have an identical, it's actually 37% versus 38% for second versus second round. So what that tells me too, a little bit that End of the first round and second round receivers all have the same likelihood of becoming career successful, sustainable fantasy assets, which means now you can open your eyes a little bit more to the idea of looking at situations, looking at quarterbacks, looking at coaching staffs, and identifying which guys you like. So Kadarius Tony has the most draft capital, but he has the same exact amount of potential uh, to hit as a guy like Elijah Moore or Rondell Moore. So really, you can kind of look at them. This is the same vein. Say, okay, who has the better quarterback? Who has the better offensive scheme? And who has the most clearest path to targets? So I think that's another way I'm taking this, this analysis and diving into it. But before we do go into those guys, let's talk a little bit about the top 10 players. And, Sky, I'm going to kind of kick it over to you for a second on this because, you know, today, obviously, Jamar Chase is everyone's favorite and it's being proven. And the way these guys are being drafted, Chase, Waddle, and Smith, they're all being drafted a little bit separately from each other um, when it comes to draft capital. So my thing is based on where they're going right now today, and that's right around in the fifties for it's fifties for Jamar chase eighties for Devonta Smith, but then actually waddles in the one ten range of those guys, based on where they're being drafted right now, what are your thoughts? Who do you like the best and who are you most likely to find on your fantasy teams? Uh, it's going to be Jamar chase. Um, I think the, the, Let's see here. The best chance for a huge season, believe it or not, I think would actually be Devonta Smith just because of his opportunity. Uh, I mean, he's the only guy out there right now. Uh, they have Travis Fulgham. You know, we'll see what happens with what they brought back last year, but it seemed like they were piecemealing and not excited about many out there. So we'll see how much work he can actually get and sustain. Jalen Waddle, I think, can have a huge year, but it really is going to be determined on what Will Fuller is able to do and how Tua responds. And Jamar Chase, I think, is going to be phenomenal for a long time, but they also have Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, who everyone's just kind of forgetting about now, was was the truth last year. First pick of the second round. He is kind of a first-rounder. <laughs> He's the 33rd yeah. pick. I mean, like Joe Burrow hand-selected him of the players left last year to bring him on the team and he played very well and let's not forget before we realized that aj green was actually toast aj green was getting absolutely peppered and completely inefficient and ineffective last year unfortunately they started going to t higgins in the second half of the season without joe burrow and that offense got better and they were decimated and t higgins had a great back half of the season so having him and joe burrow coming together this year with uh tyler boyd i do think Jamar Chase will have some nice games, but honestly, I could see Smith having the most overall receptions, probably the most targets, maybe the most yardage, and I don't know about touchdowns because we'll see what happens with that, with that offense, but just overall fantasy numbers, I think it could be Smith. Now, who I'm going to have on my fantasy team, it's probably going to be Chase um, if I'm in any sort of keeper or dynasty league. But to be honest with you, man, I'm not crazy about rookie wide receivers. Um, I'll be honest and just I had no – I mean, nobody knew Justin Jefferson would be who he was. But I had no interest in drafting him at all last year, period. 
Um, obviously that backfired, but most of the time it's not as ridiculous. So with those two guys being the 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 first round receivers, and then of course, as you mentioned, Kadarius Tony at number 10 uh 20, uh Rashad Bateman um at number 27 are the other first round wide receivers. I think I'm more apt to have Rashad Bateman, who's probably free in redraft leagues, and just take a chance to see what the Ravens can do. So when it comes to the top 10 guys, based on my analysis, it, it's about 55% to be career, a serviceable wide receiver for their career. When you look at the, and you bump the benchmark up to 12. So I actually looked at elite wide receivers, guys who have 12 points per game for their careers in half point PPR. That hit rate is still the highest is at 27%. But that means maybe one, only one of these three guys is most likely going to be an elite wide receiver. That's why I think Chase to me is probably the most realistic, but that 55% hit rate means that most likely one or it's going to be chase and somebody else. And I think that's why I lean Smith here because with me, I I just, I don't, so I don't watch a lot of college film and the the correlation to NFL. It doesn't seem like there's an exact science I've tried for years. I've actually read a lot of articles on this and trying to understand. It doesn't seem like a lot of people can pinpoint what's going to work. And I think it really shows in the draft capital because it's less than a 50, 50 chance that these NFL executives who do this for their careers hit on these guys. So, but we also want to talk a little bit about understanding this from a draft standpoint for year one, every single year. So 2014 had that monster rookie year, all the guys, Odell, Mike Evans, you know, a bunch of guys hit and everybody's like, Oh yeah, a bunch of 2014 rookie wide receivers. Everyone got excited about, but then the next season, everything kind of leveled off again. I kind of viewed 2020 because of Claypool and Higgins and, you know, by Uke on top CD of Lamb. CeeDee Lamb. Yeah. Exactly, CeeDee Lamb. I think, once again, people are going to get more excited about rookies than they should be because typically it's kind of every few years you're going to have a spike. And I think that's what happened last year. Um, and I think that for me, I think Devonta Smith, in that where he's going right now, he's worth the shot because the guys he's going around to is, is kind of a question mark. I think the only guy we talked about in the past is Jerry Judy that we would definitely be higher on in that case. Um, but what are your thoughts on, I think we already kind of covered if you're who you're going to draft and win, but is Waddle even on your radar, even at his 114 overall ADP? So again, if we have these, we have two different conversations here. If we're talking about redraft, then if you're looking What's, at like a, if you're looking at 11, 12, 13th round draft pick, then sure. Everybody's at that point, nobody's on my radar and everybody's at my radar. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. I'm not really thrilled to go pick up anybody um, in the 11 to 16th round. However, there's 50 players in all the positions that I could be like, oh, maybe that guy for upside. Maybe that guy in case of injury. Maybe that guy for a handcuff. You know, whatever. Maybe he shows out in in OTAs. Maybe that guy for draft capital. So in redraft, like, yeah, why not? In rookie drafts, which I think is more important that we talk about here for Dynasty, in rookie drafts, at the number, let's see. I just pulled up the rookie, rookie draft picks here. Jamar Chase and Devonta Smith right now are going about the 104 in rookie drafts. So you have Kyle Pitts and basically Javante Williams and Najee Harris. Um, if you're not playing super flex, then of course you have, uh, well, you have um, Lawrence at least, maybe Trey Lance even up there in super yeah. flex. But you have them at the 104. Then you have Jalen Waddle at 106. Um, at 106, I'm probably good in rookie drafts with Jalen Waddle because I look at the other running backs like Michael Carter, like man, I just think the upside and long term longevity with uh Jalen Waddle is more ideal. Again, if I'm in super flex as a quarterback anyway, Kyle Pitts is gone, the two top running backs are gone, uh, the two top wide receivers are gone, in my opinion, in Chase and Smith. So in rookie drafts, yes, Jalen Waddle is on my radar in like a six pick. But in redraft, he's so far down there, like, why not take a look at him? But at the same time, in redraft, I don't know that I'm going to count on an 11th, 12th round wide receiver um, to really show out with a quarterback that I'm not yet confident in who also brought in another speedster in Will Fuller who right, might be yeah. run first anyway. Uh, I just I just don't know that I trust that particular situation in redraft. In dynasty rookie, um, at the six pick, yes, I do like Waddle. 
You know what? This is the thing. So in my article, now you can go find the article on football.rasball.com, the wide receiver edition for and does NFL draft capital matter. Now, in the article, we talk a little, I highlight each one of these situations and I take a look at future drafts, uh, future free agency. And one of the things I talk about too is that Will Fuller and Mike Jazicki are both going to be free agents as soon as 2022. So this is interesting to me because from a dynasty redraft. So first of all, two is an unknown. We don't know how he had a serious hip injury. They were comparing it to like Bo Jackson who ruined his career. Like his career was over. He was almost on that level. So to expect this kid after that kind of injury in year one to go transition to the NFL. He also talked a little bit about how he had struggled a little bit with the playbook and picking up, you know, changes at the offensive line. He wasn't doing that stuff this year. He can, what if Tua takes a leap? And I think Waddle, to me, when you're looking at the 106, I think the 105, 1 through 5, is already set. Javante Williams is 5 for me. Actually, 106, I mean, I'm sorry, Devontae Smith. So I'm going to go the, th- the three running backs, the two uh, the three running backs, Williams, ETN, Harris. Then I'm going to go Devontae Smith, and not in any particular order, Chase and Pitt, uh, Pitts. 107 is where it gets interesting. Because, like I just touched on, the transition here, Waddle does make the most sense. But based on the numbers I've learned in the past, only one of these guys is going to be a bust, whether it's Waddle, Smith, or Chase. And my money is going to be on Chase and Smith to hit. So I think Waddle, for me, from a uh, just an overall numbers perspective, I might look to this next group. And the next group is the late first or and second round picks. Like I just touched on, they have the same exact hit rate, 37% for late first rounders, 38% for second rounders. So that is telling me that these guys are all on the same plane. So the breakdown, the guys that are on that list, it's Kadarius Tony who went 20th overall to the Giants, Rashad Bateman, who was 27th to the Ravens, Elijah Moore to the Jets at 34, Rondell Moore to the Cardinals at 49, then Eskridge went to Seattle at 56, Tutu Atwell to the Rams at 57, and Terrence Marshall to the Panthers at 59. Now, Scott, I'm going to ask you this. Of that list of late first and second round wide receivers, which guy do you think – let's talk redraft first. Which guy are you looking to target in redraft leagues, if any? Rashad Bateman and Terrace Marshall, for okay. sure. And that's rookie yeah. drafts as well. I just – those are my two favorite wide receivers out of this group. I do like Rondale Moore as a player. I just don't know how much he's going to be able to eat in this Cardinals offense. Uh, there's just so many mouths to feed over there. We'll see if Larry comes back or he doesn't. Uh, Christian Kirk may or may not take a step that we've all been waiting for for a couple of years. Nuke is still going to get his 120-plus targets. They might try to run the ball more. Kyler Murray is going to run the ball as well, so I'm not sure about him. Um, I like Elijah Moore, too, the player, another one of these incredible Ole Miss players, DK Metcalf, A.J. Brown. Uh, but do I trust the Jets? Do I trust Zach Wilson yet? No. Um, Dwayne Eskridge, just I think he's a good player, too, but didn't really make sense in Seattle. Tutu Atwell, I don't think there's any room for him, um, at least in year one. And who else? Am I missing somebody on this list? Uh, I think I – oh, and uh, Kadarius Tony. who – what's interesting, again, Bobby, I brought up the wide receiver rookie rankings. Kadarius Tony has the highest draft capital, and he's number 10 out of wide receivers on rookies. Yeah. Uh, he's the fourth wide receiver off the board in the NFL draft, and he's the 10th in rookie drafts. People just don't believe either A, in your Giants – or in Daniel Jones, or there's just too many mouths to feed over there as well. So how it looks in rookie drafts is you have the big three who we just talked about, Chase Smith and Waddle. And then at number nine, you have both Rashad Bateman and Rondale Moore. Love that. Again, I personally am probably going to pass on Rondale Moore, although I love the player. I'm probably going to pass on him. I'm all about uh, Rashad Bateman, though. Terrace Marshall at 112, all over that as well. I think he's going to be an animal for a long time in that offense. And then – We'll get to, I mean, there's another, there's a couple more players mixed in there that we haven't talked about yet, but Elijah, uh, Elijah Moore at 202 and then Kadarius Tony at 204. So in redraft, again, same conversation that we just had with Waddle. They're so deep down there. Everybody's kind of up in the air. You, you know, I'm bullish on Deami Brown, who we'll get to in a bit, but um, it's going to be Terrace Marshall with the upside and Rashad Bateman. Both guys are big uh ball hawking wide receivers i like those type of wide receivers in general um i don't know what to make yet of the the ravens quote-unquote pass attack um because it's just not going to be they're going to be a rush attack that throws the ball a little bit 
But I think there's a world where Rashad Bateman by week six um, could maybe start molding into the number one wide receiver for the Ravens. And uh, I don't think Hollywood Brown's trash or anything. I just think there's opportunity there for him, Rashad Bateman, around the red zone minimum. Um, So I like him a lot, and I do like uh, Terrace Marshall at LSU as well. When I look at these guys too, so I, from from this year, all these guys seem to be in really crowded receiving course. So in the article, I actually break down the 2022 free agents that are notable for these teams. So for example, Rondell Moore with the Arizona, AJ Green and Christian Kirk are gonna could be free agents as soon as 2022. Baltimore, it's Sammy Watkins, Mark Andrews probably gonna be resigned, but he's also a free agent. You know, for Carolina, it's Robbie Anderson. So I think when you're looking out at 107 for me, when I'm looking at this stuff, I want to see who has the immediate path to starting uh, a starting rece- uh, receiving spot. But on top of that, who has the most stability uh, at their coaching position? So like this, Kadarius Tony, listen, Jason Garrett, if he does not per- improve with Daniel Jones, I can see J- Joe Judge moving on, giving him the hook. Um, you know, Rashad, B- Greg Roman is on thin ice. If he can't improve that passing game this year, I can see him gone as soon as next year. And when you start looking through these guys, I mean, Elijah Moore, they just brought over your boy, Robert Sala and, and Mike LaFleur. They seem to have a little bit of stability. And on top of that, you know, Jamison Crowder and Keelan Cole, who they signed are both free agents, which means that slot role can be as uh, could be Elijah Moore's as soon as 2022. So those are the things I start looking at there. Terrence Marshall. I like it because of Joe Brady. Joe Brady must've spoken up for this kid from his time at LSU but Joe Brady could be gone next year because he could be a head coach. I personally think he might be going to Cincinnati. I heard this in my, I heard this on a, on a podcast. Someone said going to be with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. I was like, okay, let's do that. Um, I love that. But Terrence Marshall with Robbie Anderson as a potential 2022 free agent. The thing is, David Moore is there. So even for year one, he might, he still has to pass up David Moore to be the third receiver. I think a lot of people say he can do that, but I'm not drafting any of these guys as of today. If in August, let's circle back and see what the camp reports are saying and who are these guys. I just don't see any of these guys having clear path to targets. And the guy who has the best stability at quarterback and at coach is Tutu Atwell, who I don't think anybody's excited about because he has he screams um, freak. Uh, what's his name? God, I forget his name now. Um God, I can't – I forget his name. I can't. He was on the Cowboys for a while. The Rams drafted him in the first round. Tavon Austin. Tavon Austin. There you go. Wow, that slipped my name. He screams Tavon Austin to me. Plus, Van Jefferson, they are pretty high on him. They drafted him in the second, second round. round. Yeah. And he's he's under contract for a couple more years. They just re-signed Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. They're on contract for a couple more years. So there is no clue him to become a top three receiver unless he's truly – unless he's really better than Van Jefferson. And then he's also got to compete this year with Deshaun Jackson. So I just think that none of these guys scream excitement, plus Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf for Eskridge are on, on there as well. But the one thing that is notable, the new OC for the Seattle Seahawks is a Rams guy. They have been, they had a lot of success running three wide receiver sets. He could be the new three receiver. We saw Woods, Cup, and Cooks all have successful seasons all together. But they didn't have a tight end presence, so that means Gerald Everett and Disley will be have to be non-factors, which I don't necessarily see this year. So I, I just think that from a fantasy standpoint, redraft, I'm not focused on these guys. But if for a dynasty purposes, you know, when we talk about this stuff, you know, I I think it's a little early for Trey Sermon and Michael Carter, like you already touched on. But at 107, in a single QB league, would you would you consider Trevor Lawrence over these guys or even a Trey Lance? I mean, I'm I'm just going to go homer pick on Trey Lance, but that's really tough because he's not even the starter yet. At number seven, I don't think I go Trevor Lawrence. I think the I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be awesome. Um, I believe in him. I, I don't know that I believe in Urban Meyer yet. I don't believe in the front office of the Jags. I don't believe in the franchise of the Jags. I co-host a show with Ryan Leaf, and we talk quarterbacks at nauseum on his show. And obviously he was the number two pick behind Peyton Manning. And he went through everything um, throughout the early parts of his career. And he just said, you know, it's all about landing spot. And some players can overcome the landing spot. Other players can't. 
And it doesn't matter how great you are if you don't have the right players. Alex Smith was drafted over Aaron Rodgers in 2005. Okay, the 49ers, Mike McCarthy actually, made the decision to not take the local kid in Aaron Rodgers who grew up down the street as a 49er fan. They go out to Utah. They get Alex Smith, who's a dual-threat running back, uh, quarterback, excellent in college for Utah, played under Urban Meyer, and they go and get him number one. He had seven offensive coordinators in eight years in San Francisco. He had no chance. He becomes a quote-unquote bust. They send him out to Kansas City. He basically becomes an MVP candidate overnight when Andy Reid actually lets him play football, and then the rest is history with his story. So there's just so many situations where I'm unsure about quarterbacks. So in Dynasty, I'm probably not taking him at seven because I probably have other rosters to fill. And look, if you're counting on – in a single quarterback league in Dynasty, if you're counting on a rookie quarterback anyway, your team's in trouble. You need to make, you need to sell some draft picks and get a veteran quarterback. Super flex, you're going to have to go with, with um, I would say, at least Lawrence and Fields, maybe even uh, – or Lawrence and Lance and maybe even Fields as well, depending on how you feel about things long-term um, in the first five or six picks in super flex rookie anyway. So uh, that's going to be interesting. I am interested, Bobby, in your thoughts here on day three picks. Yeah, We talked about running backs, and there was just a cliff, right? Day three, there's just a cliff in running backs, and and our benchmark, I believe, was 10 half PPR points. Um, I, I want to just throw out a couple – or if you have them pulled up too, you can throw them at me. I, well, but. let's do this first, though. Before we jump into that, third round is important too because there's a lot of good guys in good situations. So Great. you have, for example, so third round hit rate is 20%, which is about half of second and first rounders, but still much more prominent than day three picks. And there was five receivers drafted on the, in the third round of the NFL draft. Nico Collins went to Houston. Amari Rogers went to the Packers. Your boy Deami Brown to the Washington football team. Josh Palmer to the Chargers. And Anthony Schwartz to the Browns. Based on my analysis, one of those guys is going to emerge as a consistent family fantasy contributor. I know you're going to say Deami Brown. My early favorite actually is Amari Rogers if Aaron Rodgers returns because he could immediately become that second, that slot guy, that Randall Cobb in the offense um, for him. And he could diversify a little bit from Devontae Adams and how Adams wins on the outside. So I think overall for me, but this is what I'm talking about. Nico Collins, if Deshaun Watson miraculously returns, Nico Collins landed on a great team who has a bunch of vacated targets, lost Will Fuller, lost Hopkins two years ago, and Cooks is the only really notable guy. So there's a lot of interesting guys here. So I'm just going to skip who. Tell me about De'Ami Brown. I know you love him, but this is there is a good chance that one of these guys does emerge. Yeah, and I, I do love De'Ami Brown. He's he was my guy before the draft, and he just happens to land in a good position. He was my guy outside the the big three or four wide receivers. And on Twitter for the last couple months before the draft, people were like, "Who's your sleeper?" and blah blah blah. Rookie, who's a rookie? You know what he's talking about. And I kept repping De'Ami Brown. Um, big play threat, obviously. That's going to be great for Fitzpatrick. Uh, they just don't have that position. Um, they have Curtis Samuel over the middle uh, and maybe out of the backfield. They have Terry McLaurin, who I think is going to be one of the great young wide receivers in this game for a long time. But he's not necessarily a burner. I think he's going to be a, a catch-and-run guy and a possession guy long-term. Deami Brown helps stretch the field, and we saw what um, he was able to do with uh, – Fitzpatrick was able to do with Mike Evans uh, throughout his career in, in uh, Tampa Bay. I love Deami Brown. I want to say, like, I've talked a lot about De'Ami Brown here, 4-4 speed, the dude's a beast. I do also want to give a shout-out to Josh Palmer um, out of Tennessee onto the Los Angeles Chargers, 6-1-2-10. He had 1,500-plus receiving yards last year, 100 catches with terrible quarterback play. So sometimes the, the the wide receiver can patch holes on the quarterback as much as the quarterback can patch holes on, on, on not great players. I think in the case of Kyle Trask in Florida, Kadarius Toney in college and Kyle Pitts made Kyle Trask better. There are some situations where the quarterback themselves make the weapons better. You see them in the pros and they don't pan out. Unfortunately, yeah. my boy Mike Williams can't stay healthy. I love Mike Williams. I love my Syrac- or, uh, Syracuse, excuse me, uh, my Clemson wide receivers, but Mike Williams cannot stay healthy. Yeah. Keenan Allen, I think this year is going to be absolutely out of control. If he can get touchdowns and stay healthy, he could absolutely be top five. Um, and if 
Mike Williams doesn't stay healthy, I think Josh Palmer can slot in as that number two. They get rid of Mike Williams next year. Josh Palmer's that guy with Justin Herbert for the next five-plus years. This is a kid that nobody's talking about. Nobody in the fantasy community is talking about Josh Palmer. And he might be – I mean, I mentioned Deami Brown, um, Rashad Bateman, and Terrace Marshall are my favorite wide receivers out of the big three. Josh Palmer is probably going to be my like seventh, eighth though, and um, I really like his opportunity if if he can get he can get a chance uh, with Justin Herbert. You know what the thing with him too is Mike Williams we just touched on is a free agent, but this is exactly. a new coaching staff. Yep. This is Joe Lombardi who comes from New Orleans for many years. And this new coaching staff, they went and got Josh Palmer with a pretty nice draft capital. So I think from my perspective, um, you know, I I am a little concerned with Joe Lombardi than most people are when it comes to how he handled the situation with Matthew Stafford with Detroit. But that's a different topic, different conversation. But Mike Williams being gone next year, Jalen Guyton's even a free uh, restricted free agent. So there's a lot of opportunity for him to swoop in. Plus, Jared Cook is another guy who is only on a one-year deal, and he could be gone. And then the backup tight end situation there is another rookie as well, but it could just open up to a point where it's Eckler, Keenan Allen, and then Josh Palmer as soon as 2022. So I agree. Bro. Yeah, I mean, you know, now we're just talking. I haven't had this inkling at all yet. I'm starting to get a little toasty on Josh Palmer. He, he might mm. be – he might he might end up in an article later this summer and just one of my deeper sleepers. He's free yeah. in, He's free in redraft for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to look him up really quickly in, in rookie um, drafts just to make sure I'm not going crazy here. Let's see, Josh Palmer. Oh, my God. Oh, end of the third round. Just buried. Okay, yeah. Get yeah, Josh I got Palmer. Him. I got him. I drafted him. I drafted him in get my – Get Josh Palmer in, yeah. in rookie r- rookie dynasty leagues, and you can get him for free. Put him on the end of your bench and redraft. Totally an aside, but while we're talking about the Chargers, Joe Lombardi, Saints – I have to make this connection, and maybe this is just uh, you know, maybe it's just a hot topic we follow up on. My, what Michael Thomas did two years ago was the best wide receiver season we've ever seen. The next closest to that was Marvin Harrison, who is a Hall of Famer. Um, Keenan Allen last year in 14 games, 100 catches on 147 targets, eight yards short of 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns with a rookie quarterback. Now, probably the best rookie quarterback we've ever seen statistically, but a rookie yeah. quarterback nonetheless. With Joe Lombardi, with the Saints, with my, what Michael Thomas did, is there any chance? I'm just I'm super bullish on what Keenan Allen could do this year. Mm-hmm. And now Anthony Lynn isn't there to tell jo- Justin Herbert not to throw the ball to his best player, which is fucking asinine. Is there any chance that Keenan Allen could have upwards of 120 catches, 150 plus targets? And then you're up in like the 1,200, 1,400, which he's been before, receiving yards and then double-digit touchdowns. Now you're talking a, a top-five wide receiver. I'm not saying he's going to be Mike Mike uh, Mike Thomas of a couple years ago with 185 targets or whatever. But if he can get – shit, I mean, 150 I think is reasonable. If he can make 110, 120 targets out of that, 1,200 yards, maybe you know 10 to 12 scores, that's serious capital for Keenan Allen right now who you can probably get in the fourth round of redraft. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I, You know me, I'm very big on coaching and how it translates to new teams. I look at this stuff all the time. But one of the things I will say, though, is with the Michael Thomas situation, that having in 2018, before he had his major breakout, I actually do a stat called fantasy points per team dropback. And Michael Thomas that year, in 2018, before his major 2019, was number one in that stat. And I was like, wow, overlook on my part. Didn't really look into the data beforehand. This kind of led me down a different path. But that's the level of hyper-target and how quickly they utilize. But also, if you look at Keenan Allen, he is like the closest thing to Michael Thomas. Like, plays in and out 50-50. Both guys do the same exact. Big body um, plus, slot. Yeah, I mean, it's just – it's it's too convenient. But also, Justin Herbert, I mean, he's proven that he's going to hyper-target. Keenan Allen had one of his better years over the last few because Phil Rivers was, was declining. I love Keenan Allen too. Um, yeah, I got to start looking at him more from a uh, draft perspective where he's exactly going. But there you go. I, I listen, I'm not big Herbert 2021 guy. I'll admit that. But I am big on Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler because of the Camara Michael Thomas talks. Fair enough. 
I, yeah. I dig that. I do. I do want to dive uh, dive a little deeper on. Of course, we'll get to uh, wide receiver rankings later on. I just wanted to bring it up right now. I've got Keenan Allen at number nine. Um, but depending on what happens with Michael Thomas and the quarterbacks, depending on who's the quarterback for Allen Robinson, right now it looks like Justin Fields is outperforming Andy Dalton already in Chicago. Um, we'll see what happens. But Keenan Allen could could kind of creep up into my maybe my top eight uh, by the time the season gets going here. Yeah, so let's talk about the day three guys before we go. So I'm just going to read the little paragraph from my article because it's just the easiest way to break it down. So I said, basically, let's talk. I'm going to put up the chart again, too, because that's just an easy way to look at it. But since 2011, zero sixth and seventh round wide receivers have emerged as consistent fantasy assets over the last decade. So that tells me that all your all these fantasy drafts where you're drafting in the fourth round, if you're doing a fantasy restart, um, a dynasty rookie draft, for example, and you're in the fourth round and you're just taking shots. This is what we talk a lot about. It might make sense to look at prior year guys, James Washington, who's a free agent, or even guys from last year, Brian Edwards, for example, people might be less high on because this, the hit rate for those guys is zero over the last decade. Now, meanwhile, if you look at the fourth and fifth round, when you combine those two together, it's about seven point, um, it's about 5%. So, uh, it's eight wide receivers were taken in rounds four and five combined in 2001, uh, 2021, which means the likelihood of someone emergency, uh, emerging based on a 5% hit rate is 50-50. So basically when you combine fourth and fifth round, which is 4% and 7%, it comes out to about 5% overall. So the hit rate for fourth and fifth rounders is 5%. And based on the fact only eight wide receivers were drafted in those rounds in 2021, the likelihood of any of them emerging emerging as a fantasy asset is less than 50-50. So Amon St. Brown is the most likely guy, in my opinion, because of his slot presence on that team, plus all the vacated targets, um, the new coaching staff, and the and the and the his, injury history of the two main guys, Perriman and also T- Tyrell Williams. But anybody else you're thinking about in the in the later rounds, guys that you might be excited about. Man, I'm I'm scanning right now as you're talking um, for all these day three wide receivers trying to make sense of anybody. Uh, unfortunately, no. I mean, Amon Ross St. Brown makes the most sense. Um, yeah. You know, it's tough. He's a six-rounder. He was actually playing with my boy De'Ami Brown out in North Carolina. Daz Newsome um, could, could surprise some people. Uh, he's not, he's not crazy fast or anything like that. I just think he's a good wide receiver in general, but they don't really, ha- I mean, Allen Robinson, uh, you know, unfortunately, Anthony Miller might be gone by the time the season starts and Darnell Mooney, um, is a nice deep, deep threat. We'll see what happens, but Daz Newsom could potentially emerge. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown's the only one of the day three guys though, that I could see making a, a significant impact for fantasy as a rookie, because as you mentioned, all of the uh, vacated targets and the opportunity to jump right in and have a, have a role. Um, I'm trying to make a case for anybody else here. And I just, well, there's some good players, but I just don't, I just don't see it happening right away. Yeah. And and listen, when you're drafting, I listen, not everyone's going to be elite. I totally get that. And sometimes, especially in dynasty, you just want to find the Adam Humphreys PPR guy that can get you some points on when you need him on your bench. And I totally get that. And Adam Humphreys isn't going to make these benchmarks, but at the same time, he might be just below. He might be someone that's a quality player, but I'm telling you, from a hit rate perspective, only uh, Tyree Kill and Stefan Diggs, only two receivers drafted on day three, have ever hit that elite benchmark of 12 points per game in the last 10 years. So my thing is, like, I, I've just been very vocal about if you're in a deeper rookie draft and dynasty in those third, fourth rounds. I like Josh Palmer. I actually draft him, drafted him in the third round in my industry draft um, because of this analysis But at the same time, once you get beyond that and you start getting into the late third, early fourth, you're taking shots on guys that probably won't work out. That's why it might be more valuable to trade those picks for pending 2022 free agents or guys who are currently buried on death charts that could emerge who have better draft capital over the last two, maybe even three years. So I think that's why I say it, because these hits rates are just so low. And fantasy football is hard enough with the guys who are coin flips let alone 5% hit rate. So that's just yep. kind of playing those odds a little bit. And that's kind of why Amon St. Brown is the only guy I put in my article um, because of the low hit rate. 
Yeah, and before we get out of here, I do want to throw two names out there. They will probably be irrelevant for fantasy football, maybe for their entire career. I wish them well, of course, as professional athletes. But we probably will not have them on our fantasy teams. However, I do want two two names I'm going to give a shout-out to just to have the receipt in case it breaks out. Julian Edelman, who is a borderline Hall of Famer, depending on what side of the fence you sit on with him, was a seventh-round draft pick. Kawan Baker got drafted at 255, uh, the one, two, three, four, fifth to last pick in the seventh round out of South Alabama by the Saints. Look, the Saints out, outside of Michael Thomas and Traquan Smith, you know, Marcus Callaway. I mean, they have a couple names out there, but he's a bigger body target. Maybe he gets some rookie love, at least on special teams, and makes a move if they have any sort of injury. And then Dax Milne out of BYU, who was the top wide receiver for Zach Wilson in college. He was picked second to last uh, of the entire NFL draft, went to the Washington football team. Again, great route runner. Reminds me of, of potentially like an Adam Thielen type eventually. Let's not forget, this is really important for fantasy people to just kind of understand history sometimes. And this is kind of what I like to geek out on personally. There are so many players that like today you think of like oh, Adam Thielen, I guess, is a bad example now because he's kind of on the back end of his career. He still had 14 touchdowns last year, though. And for the last two or three years when he's been healthy, he's been a top 10 wide receiver. Adam Thielen was irrelevant for four years in Minnesota. He was special teams. He was like the fourth string wide receiver, punt returner, doing nothing for four yeah. years. He got his chance, made it happen. He became Adam Thielen late in his career for fantasy. These are the type of guy. I'm not saying that they will per se, but a Dax Milne who was great in college of BYU with uh, with Zach Wilson and potentially Kwan Baker because they don't have any depth in New Orleans. These are the type of guys in keeper leagues, deep dynasty stashes, um, you know, maybe taxi league, uh, taxi squad dudes. These are the type of names that I'd be interested in in um, in uh, fantasy leagues just because they might have an opportunity in a couple of years. And you're not looking to play these guys right away anyway, so you're going to sit on them and see what happens. I'm going – and listen, I've said this a thousand times. I'm going to say it again. Um, you know, that's one way to look at it. My thing is, right now today, the guy that I've been really thinking about is James Washington. James Washington right. was a second-round pick um, for the Steelers a handful of years ago, but he's been buried on the depth chart. But when he plays, he's produced. Yep. Now, this reminds me a lot of Emmanuel Sanders. If you don't remember, Emmanuel Sanders was on the Steelers for his first four years – he never topped 750 yards. He then goes to Denver and blows up because he becomes the starter. And on that team with Peyton Manning and all that, he was able to take off. James Washington has the pedigree, but he also has flashed a little bit. Guys like Rashad Penny, another good example. But when I say this, I'm telling you, guys who are free agents as of next year. I'm not saying to go after a guy who has better draft pedigree who could be you know, two to three years until he's a free agent. What I'm saying is look at 2022 free agents and identify guys who have produced but might not have gotten the opportunities yet. Like, and that's another alternative. If you're not sure who to draft in the fourth round of a rookie draft or even the late third, and you're just like, you know, I don't know, make offers for those guys because they have shown they can play, but they just haven't gotten the opportunity. So those are just another tidbit of what I like to do, especially because of all the data and research I've done on draft capital and the impact it has for, you know, fantasy success. Love it. Other guys too, a couple, a couple other guys that like last year's rookies who didn't play very well that you might be able to capitalize as well on for free. Both the Raiders guys, Henry Ruggs and uh, Brian Edwards potentially should have bounce backs for sure. Jerry Judy's getting a lot of hype. You're running out of time on that, but you might still be able to squeeze in if your league hasn't been paying attention in the off season. Um, some of these other guys that that uh, didn't necessarily make it happen last year due to injury or insufficiencies from the quarterback, you might be able to capitalize on. Denzel Mims is a guy I still believe in. I still believe in Jalen Rager uh, with the Eagles. Uh, so again, those are those are guys you might be able to capitalize on that don't have huge names right now, but could potentially um, benefit with high draft capital. All right, Bobby, let's wrap it up here. That was a great episode of the wide receiver draft capital, and. You also have an article on tight ends. I don't know that we're going to break it down here because it's just the <laughs> yes. reality. The reality is rookie tight ends that are not named Kyle Pitts do not have an immediate impact on fantasy football for the most part. So we're going to save an episode on that. But I highly recommend you go to Razball. 
of football.rasball.com and check out Bobby's article on the tight ends. There's still some great information that you should check out. I think we'll maybe save an episode on that. But any last thoughts on wide receiver draft capital before we get out of here? I think I think we should all take a better look at and watch OTAs and you also pay attention to mini camps. I honestly, there's nothing special about doing it. All you do is go to Google, type in Jets OTA news and see what's going on with Elijah Moore. I'm telling you based on historical hit rates that all these guys have a very similar chance outside of the top 10 guys. So really, if you're looking at Elijah Rondell, you know, and there's a lot of opportunities in 2022 based on guys who are going to be free agents. So mm-hmm. take the time, research OTA minicamp news and just see who's playing well. They might not translate to games yet, but see who guys are making an impact or starting to get some buzz um, right away because they could be assets as soon as next year. 100% totally agree. Awesome, man. Appreciate your time today. We'll get out of here tomorrow, Bobby. You have a special episode. It is your this week's, this week's player yeah. spotlight. Give us a – I gave you a teaser on Matt Stafford last week. Uh, give me give me just a, a, oh, a one or two stat teaser on your player spotlight. Who is it? And give us one or two for the teaser for tomorrow's episode. Man, I got so many fun ones. I lost my mind again. I love these player spotlights because it just – talk about geeky. I've lost myself. It's like 1130, and I'm just in the we. I'm looking at Deuce Staley's second season with Andy Reid. I'm losing my mind, and I love it. That's a te- that's your teaser. I was looking at Deuce Staley's second year at Andy Reid's scheme, and when I tell you, I love it, man. It was it was a lot of fun, dude. Uh, it's, uh, so so for for us OGs, of course, I remember Deuce Staley very fondly. I can't place what year that might have been, though, Bobby. What year was Deuce Staley's second year under Andy Reid? I'm thinking 2000. early 2000s. Yeah, 2000. 2000s. Reed took over as the head coach in 1999. So Deuce was already established before Reed, but he took off under Reed. Um, but, you know, one of the things I looked at for for this analysis was the second year of running back, uh, his production versus his first year in an Andy Reed system. So Deuce Staley, Brian Westbrook, Kareem Hunt, Jamal Charles, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire are the five guys I'm going to highlight in that analysis. I'm going to talk a little bit about their production and the leap they've made. And I just keep it simple. I'm not going to get into yards. I'm going to talk about fantasy points in an analysis. So it's a pretty, so stay tuned. You'll be surprised. A lot of guys made a leap in year two. Is there a, is there a LaShawn McCoy in that mix too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Touche. Touche. Awesome. LaShawn McCoy. Yeah. All right, man. I'm looking forward to that. If you missed my player spotlight this week, it was actually a combo platter. I did the Cardinals backfield. So it's a spotlight on Chase Edmonds and James Conner. I wrap in a lot of Kenyon Drake and what he did last year with the Cardinals. I wrap in a lot of uh, Kyler Murray, what he does specifically on the ground, compares everybody's inside the five, the 10, the red zone efficiencies. Check it out if you haven't yet on the previous episode. Catch my spotlight. And tomorrow, Bobby's spotlight on CEH and what he can do in year two under Andy Reid for the Chiefs. All right, man, always a pleasure. This is episode 396 in the books, The Importance of Wide Receiver Rookie Draft Capital. Catch us back tomorrow with Bobby's player spotlight of CEH. Find us both on Twitter at our names. My name is Sky Guasco, S-K-Y-G-U-A-S-C-O on Twitter. You can find Bobby Lamarco. That's Bobby, last name Lamarco, L-A-M-A-R-C-O on Twitter. Find me on Instagram, fantasyfootball underscore TCK pod, and find Bobby at fantasyfootballxfactor on Instagram as well. Make sure to smash the subscribe right here, hit the bell, and leave a comment on any rookie wide receiver that you are most excited about for this season. We'll catch you next time on the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast. Enjoy the rest of your week and catch Bobby tomorrow for the CEH Spotlight. For my man, Bobby LaMarco, I am your host, Sky Guasco, and we are out of here. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.